We can learn a lot about a person by the way they act, through the things they wear, what they do, or from what they say. Um, You might know Bruce and Charlie, our priest in charge and associate minister. Um, And they both wear dog collars, and through that you can tell that they are Church of England clergymen. Uh, I might not be important enough to have any fresh priestly garments of my own, but I do have this one holy piece of fabric. Yeah, see, this is my Norwich City football scarf. Uh, greatest team in the world. You might have known they've just made their way back to the Premier League. Um, and when I wear this scarf, it is clear to many people that I am a follower of Norwich City. Um, I've followed Norwich around the country. I've gone to places like Stoke, Cardiff, Burnley, Birmingham, Sheffield, all these different cities to watch them play football. And on game day, when I enter into these towns and cities, everyone can see by this scarf that I am a follower of Norwich City. By this scarf, you can tell that I am a fan. Um, Now, for us as Christians, Jesus says that the way people will know we are his disciples, that we are followers of him, is by the way we love one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, the way we show love to each other in this family that we call the church should visibly display to others that we are followers of Jesus. And so I just ask that question to you. Can others tell that you are a follower of Jesus by the way you love one another? St. Andrews, can people tell we are followers of Jesus, not by our church building or through our hymns, robes, worship songs and prayers, but by our love for one another? And so that's what I hope we can take away today, that we see how we are to love each other the way Jesus has taught us, so that others will know we are followers of Jesus. So if you have your Bible with you, do turn to John chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verses 31 to 35, and so let's get to the passage. And, And as we do that, let me give you a bit of the background so that we know the context of the situation. Um, The the events in our passage are taking place in the final few days of Jesus' life, and it's at the time of the annual Passover celebrations, and so everyone is gathering in Jerusalem. The chief priests and the Pharisees, who have plotted against Jesus to have him killed, they are in Jerusalem. Jesus, he has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, adored as a king by the crowds, And so everything is coming together as we move into the climax of John's Gospel. And as it's the Passover, Jesus and his disciples have gathered together to share a meal. But during that meal, Jesus calls out Judas as his betrayer. And he tells him to go and do what he needs to do. And that's where our passage picks up. So I'll read from the start of verse 31. When he and that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. See, the the trap is sprung. The coming sequence of his arrest, trial and crucifixion is now set in place and in that moment, Jesus is glorified and God will be glorified in him. 
The crucifixion to come, those six hours of hanging naked to a cross in between two thieves is to be to the glory of God the Father and to God the Son. See, the the intimacy of the glorification between both the Father and the Son, it expresses their oneness and that Jesus truly is the man that he claims to be. And so Jesus continues, I'm leaving, and where I'm going you cannot follow, but I have a new command for you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus tells his disciples that what is to happen next is his departure, but he gives them a command they are to follow in response to what is about to happen. For the disciples, the mark of their discipleship, their Norwich City football scarf, was the physical physical following of Jesus. People knew they were his followers because that's what they did. They, They physically followed him. They did everything together. So when Jesus says, let's go to Galilee, they go to Galilee. When Jesus says, let's pray, they pray. They eat together, they spend every day together, and it is clear that they are his disciples because they are physically with him. But that is what is all about to change, and that is why he gives them this command to love one another, as it is by this love that they will be known as his disciples. He he says, I'm not going to be here anymore. You're not going to be able to follow me. I'm leaving. And so the evidence of your discipleship, your badge that shows you follow me, is to be how you love one another. And not just any love, but how I have loved you. And see, that is the same for us here today. The way people will know we are truly a follower of Jesus is the way we love one another. The way we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The way we, as a family that we call the church, show love to its members. And so that's what I want us us as people who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus to focus on today. To look at this command to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. So to make it nice and clear for us, I have devised a three-point plan of analysis, nothing too complex, just a what, a how, and a why. And so point of analysis number one, the what. What is the command, and what does it really mean? Well, firstly, we've already seen the command's purpose. Jesus told the disciples that by loving one another, people will know they are his disciples. Its purpose is about making known to others that we are followers of Jesus. Secondly, this is a command. This isn't some kind of useful top tip to help you find fulfillment, and neither is it comparable to wise sayings from people like Gandhi or the Dalai Lama. But this is an instruction for those who say they are Christians and that they love Jesus to follow and obey. If you are a Christian, you are a person under authority. You have accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life and what he wills, you want. And so when Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you, 
then it is your obligation as a Christian to do your best at abiding by Jesus's command. This isn't guidance to help you live a life of satisfaction, peace, and oneness. Rather, this is a command to follow, to visibly demonstrate to whom you belong to. As Christians, we listen to Jesus and we obey Jesus. And thirdly, the distinguishing instruction in the command is love. It is clear by the way we love one another that we will achieve the purpose of the command. And it is also this focus on love that makes this a new command. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the Old Testament teaching to love your neighbour as yourself, a teaching that Jesus reaffirms as important in Mark 12. And that is a great teaching. It's great because it is clear how it's good. It's a great teaching that still stands today. But see, this is a new command. But to love each other, that is not new. But what is new here is the example of love by which we should love one another. This new standard is radically different. And so as you look at verse 34, the newness of the command is found in the just as I have loved you. What we are commanded to do is to live out the love of Jesus that he has shown to his followers. Loving people is not a new instruction, but to love Jesus, sorry, but to love as Jesus has loved us is. And so to follow this command faithfully, we are to live out the love Jesus has demonstrated. And so this brings us to point of analysis number two. How do we love like Jesus? How do I abide in this command? Well, if I want to know how to love the way Jesus has loved us, if I want to faithfully follow his command, I am best to take that lesson from Jesus himself. I don't want to follow an example of love that is not from Jesus. And so that is why when we preach here at St. Andrews, we, we spend a lot of time in the passage and in the Bible. We believe this to be God's spoken word, written through human authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we believe God has spoken and that he continues to speak through Scripture. And so to get the best understanding of our passage, we want to move out from it in these kind of concentric circles. We want to understand what the passage is teaching in its immediate context, i.e. what it meant for the original hearers. We then want to understand how it fits with the whole Bible story. And from there, we work our way out to ourselves, understanding and applying the original message in our day-to-day -day context. And so that is what we will do here. We will look for an example of Jesus' love from his word. And so if you have your Bibles open, come with me to the start of chapter 13, as it is here that we will get a real picture of what it looks like to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. So chapter 13, it introduces us to that Passover meal scene, and we have Jesus in the room with his 12 disciples. But see this here in verse 1. When Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. 
it is clear from this that Jesus truly loves his disciples. He is full of love for them. And so whilst full of love for them, Jesus gets up from the table, he takes a towel and a bowl of water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And so Jesus shows his love for them in this way. This washing of the feet is a demonstration of his love. Having washed them all, he says to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. See, can you see that? Can you see the parallel in the two commands? Love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as I have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus has given to the disciples a model by which they can participate in loving each other the way that he commands them to. Jesus has given an example of his love that his followers should copy. And so that's it, right? To follow this new command of loving one another, through which everyone will know we are followers of Jesus, we just need to start washing each other's feet. No need for our Sunday services. Have your, have your lion. We can just run prayer and pedicures instead, right? Well, not quite. In fact, we only see one other reference to feet washing in the New Testament. And so the way this story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet connects to our passage is the acted-out example of love that we are then commanded to live out. There is a plain practical lesson to learn about loving each other in the way Jesus did from this opening part of chapter 13. Firstly, we are to love one another in humility. Jesus, their Lord and teacher, see that's verse 13, he sets aside his status, his prestige, his privilege, and he gets on his hands and knees to wash 12 pairs of smelly, dusty, grubby feet. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and yet he does not think it is beneath him to do the work that would have typically been fulfilled by a servant. And so when Jesus says, just as I have washed your feet, so you should wash each other, he means that there should be nothing that his followers should think of themselves as too great or too good to do. This is a self-sacrificial servant-hearted love and secondly we see that our love for one another should be deeply practical what a blessing it was for those 12 disciples to have had their feet washed walking around all day in their favorite sandals picking up dirt from the dusty streets and the sweat from the beating sun we often talk about feelings of love, and yet here Jesus' definition of love is loving action. Jesus wants us to love one another so much that we should delight in being able to do something that will promote someone else's happiness, or will lessen their sorrows, or will multiply their joy. Rejoice in doing kind things for others, whether big or small, because that is the model of love that Jesus has set out for us to follow. 
However, if you come with me to John chapter 15, and starting at verse 12, we see the extent of Jesus' love for us, and therefore the extent to which we are called to love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. What we see on the cross is the most remarkable combination of both loving action and humility that the world has ever seen. See, Jesus, a co-equal with the Father, lays down not just his status, but also his life. He lays it all down for our sake, and we are then called to love each other in this same way. The nature of our love for one another is to be self-sacrificial and having a servant-hearted attitude for one another. We should be a community that is willing to set aside everything and anything for each other. And when we love each other this way, it becomes clear to others who we are followers of. But it is hard, and I get it, it really can be hard to love each other this way. But it is how the church is called to be, and it is how it used to be. If you've been along to our Thursday night Bible study, you will know we are looking through the book of Acts. And Acts follows the journey of our early church, or of the early church, as, as the first Christians hold out the gospel message to the world. And they shared everything with each other. They served one another, and some even laid down their life for the sake of others. For the sake of others coming to know Jesus as their saviour. And so what started with a small group of Christians in Jerusalem who loved each other the way their Lord and Saviour did, well, they displayed to the world that they are followers of Jesus. And so then here we are, 2,000 years later, 3,000 miles away, worshipping that same Jesus, just as millions of others are too all around the world. And then still today, in North Korea, and in China, and in many other countries, there are Christians who are still following Jesus in laying down their life for the sake of the gospel. The commandment to love each other the way Jesus has loved us is no easy task. But believe me, we are called to be up for the challenge. So to briefly summarise, to love each other the way Jesus has loved us is to love in humility and in loving action. And the extent to which we should love one another is to be willing to lay everything aside for each other, to lay everything aside for the church. That's the model, that's the pattern we are called to follow. The church should be characterised by this love and it should echo Christ to our non-believing community. But perhaps there are some of you here thinking, so what? So what about this Jesus guy? There is a multitude of great teaching to live by, hundreds of peace-promoting heroes throughout history. Why would I submit to Jesus when I can take 
the best of what the rest of the world offers. Well, let's come to my final point. Why? Why follow Jesus? Well, Jesus did something on the cross that no person worth following could ever do. We, we need to accept that our biggest problem in life is our sinfulness. It really, really is. And there is no part of our lives that we haven't tainted with sin. Whether that be self-interest, ungratefulness, pride, lust, being early to judge and resistant to forgive, our carelessness, our selfishness. Look, I am rotten to the core with sin. It is a terminal condition, self-inflicted by my desire for things other than God. And it has a consequence, and that consequence is death. It is an eternal separation from God. (laughs) And yet, on the cross... Jesus takes our biggest problem. He looks upon us as we are in the dirt of our sin and he willingly submits to the hands of Pilate and dies the death of a criminal in our place. Because Jesus, despite all of our flaws, when he looks upon us, he looks upon us with love. A real loving action kind of love that wills him to offer himself for you. And so there on the cross, he deals with it. He really does deal with sin and its chains on us are broken and we are free from its grip. This is love, humility and power in its purest form. And it is not only a love that saves, but it is a love that calls us into an everlasting kingdom of joy and peace. In the presence of the one who made you, who truly knows you, who has a love for you that can never, ever let you down. And so you can trust the words of whoever you like. You can live by great moral teachings. You can adore people who died for a good cause. But none of them died for you. None of them can save you. And none of them ever rose again to stand victorious over death. And yet Jesus, before he even calls you to follow him, has already offered himself for you and freely offers you an eternal life with him in a heavenly kingdom where there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, but perfect unity and love. If you have never trusted Jesus before, that invitation is yours now and you can follow him today. It requires you to repent and it requires you to believe in this gospel message that Jesus is Lord. And believe me, that is the greatest decision you could ever make. And so as I finish, for us here who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, abide in that command to love each other the way Jesus has loved us. And when we love each other in humility and in practical loving action that is exampled by Jesus... 
we become visible to others that we are a people who love Jesus and strive to follow him. We make the church a family that welcomes all people, irrespective of their background, age, gender, race, income, job, or education. We echo the inclusive and indiscriminate love of Jesus that makes the rest of Wimbledon go, wow, have you seen how these guys love each other? And so let me close with these words from Philippians chapter 2, which serve as a standard for us to aspire to. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross.